Nikki Haley is getting slammed over her comments about the origins of the Civil War. Haley forgot to mention the S word, and now liberals and some Republicans in the media are having a meltdown. And I'm going to tell you my thoughts coming up. I, I have a very different take than a lot of others about Nikki Haley's comments. The leftist judges in Colorado who knocked Trump off the ballot, in their ruling, they used quotes. They quoted multiple times Trump's speech to MAGA supporters on January 6th and used those quotes to prove that Trump is an insurrectionist, that Trump was trying to incite violence. And not surprisingly, it turns out that they twisted Trump's words. They took his words out of context. They tried to make it seem as though he was telling the crowd to get violent and encouraging it and encouraging them to breach the Capitol. And it's clear, it's clear that that is not what he meant and that they totally twisted his words and took them out of context. So we will tell you all about that coming up. Here we are just two weeks away from the Iowa caucuses. Now, usually that's a very exciting and thrilling time. Now, it's not quite as exciting as usual because it's already over. The primaries are over. CNN, you need to stop acting as though there's like a still a chance that Trump will lose, a chance that Nikki Haley will pull it out. So this is not like, you know, a a very big uh, contest over here. It's not a contest at all. It's over before it even began. However, it's still fun, especially if you're into politics. And uh, if you're into runner-ups, this could be a lot of fun. But, you know, you can't we can kind of still get into the dynamics. Who's going to be the next candidate to drop out? When will they drop out? And uh, will there you know, will there be any race at all in New Hampshire, for example? I doubt it. I think in New Hampshire is a done deal. Nikki Haley's getting close, not close enough. And then the question is going to be who Trump chooses as a running mate. But we've got time for that. And uh, the question is going to be who Gavin Newsom chooses as a running mate. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But uh, look, one thing's for sure. Trump clearly made the right move. Not participating in the debates was clearly the right decision because Trump's numbers have only gone up since the debates began. So, uh, you know, not only has he not gone down in the polls, but his numbers have gone up. So and it's all about winning. Well, but he should have debated. He should have gotten in there with them. He should have. You know, what is he afraid of? It's about winning, okay? It's not about his ego. It's not about entertainment. If it was about entertainment, then certainly we would have said that Trump should be in there. All those things are, you know, are true. You know, but uh, that's not what it's about. It's you, you got to get into office, whatever way you get in there. And if that means debating in order to win, then you debate. But if your best path to victory is by not getting into the debates, especially when you're fifty, sixty points ahead of the other candidates, then clearly that's the right move. All right, the New York Times published a lengthy article uh, explaining why the Israeli military took so many hours to respond on Simchas Torah, on the Shemini, on Shemini Atzeres, uh, during the attacks. And, of course, that has been something which has been very perplexing to many of us, to take five or six hours. Obviously, Israel is a small country. There are tens of thousands of troops. Even then, there were tens of thousands of troops on duty. So, yeah, they had to travel from the north to the south, but five or six hours is an insane amount. Well, it turns out... You know, this has been a mystery. The New York Times has broken down, number one, how Hamas was able to cripple the IDF and take over a lot of the streets, a lot of the highways, and uh, why the Israelis were so unprepared. I I was going to talk about it. I think we're going to leave that and have to record that as its own separate episode so that we can really dive into it and provide a full analysis, so keep an eye out for that. In a moment, I'm going to play you a clip of Don Lemon, Don Lemon, former CNN anchor, who says that he would rather have Trump as president then Nikki Haley, okay, Don Lemon says, I prefer Trump over Nikki Haley. And for the first time ever, I actually agree with Don Lemon. And by the way, 
I, I, I'm a supporter of Nikki Haley. I'm not, you know, there are some conservatives out there who, for whatever reason, are turned off by Nikki Haley. You know, Nikki Haley, she'd be a strong candidate, and, you know, I think she'd be a strong conservative president. But uh, I have some criticism for her, as I'll get to later on. But I do agree with Don Lemon that, you know, I prefer Trump. But here's what's amazing is this is exactly what we told you would happen for years. For years, we've been saying that eventually the media would say, oh, you know what? Trump isn't so bad after all. The next guy is worse than Trump. Or in this particular case, the next lady is worse than Trump. And now they're saying it about Nikki Haley. I'm going to play you the clip. Don Lemon, you cannot make this stuff up, saying he would prefer Trump over Haley. And, you know, it's amazing when, you know, remember Trump with the with the nasty tweets and with the with A.G. Barr and with January 6th and all of that. And uh, you're telling Elon Omar to go back to her country. And remember, we we kept defending Trump. You know, the media would say. We don't have a problem with Republicans. Our problem is with Trump, with the nasty tweets and Trump. He's an insurrectionist and he wants to bring down the government and all these things. Right. Trump brings it on himself. Remember, people would say to me, listen, why does Trump have to get so carried away? Why does he have to say these things? He gives so much ammunition to the left. I, you know, I want a safer candidate. I want somebody like Nikki Haley or, 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 or somebody like Ron DeSantis, the positives of Trump without the negatives. And I always said, I said, the media did this to George Bush. The media did this to Mitt Romney. They did it to Ted Cruz. They make it seem like it's only only about Trump. We have no problem with Republicans. We only have a problem with Trump. And I said, yeah, that's what they say now. You know, the, 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 it, when Bush was president, they decimated him. He was literally a war criminal. And the, over the torture, the enhanced interrogation techniques with the CIA, with Guantanamo detainees, you have no idea in Iraq war and what they did to that man. So it's always the most recent Republican to gain momentum who's the threat to democracy and is a raving lunatic. And, uh, you know, it, no, it's, a, it's just Trump. It's just Trump. If Trump would go away, then suddenly CNN, they would embrace the next Republican. Republican candidate. It never happens. So listen to this astonishing clip. Look, I would rather Donald Trump not to be the president of the United States again. But it's a devil, you know, in many ways. And I think that a Nikki Haley may be much more dangerous than a Donald Trump, because at least you know where Donald Trump stands on issues. And we have lived through a Donald Trump presidency. <laughs> no one knows what a Nikki Haley will do, especially when it comes to the, a woman's right to choose, when it comes to racism in this country, and when it comes to supporting someone who inspired an insurrection in this country. So I know that's going to be surprising for people to hear, but that is the, my God's honest truth at this point. She, uh, unbelievable. Hey, let's keep going here. She just said so many things about the former president that don't make sense. She said one thing about him one day that history is going to judge him harshly for January 6th. And then she criticized the Justice Department for saying that it was political. Which one is it, Nikki Haley? And I think the American people deserve to know where she stands. She's going to have to answer these questions. And I think the American press now should pin her down on all of these important issues, slavery, racism, abortion and Donald Trump. Nikki Haley, so she's starting to gain momentum. And, of course, the slavery part we'll get to here in a moment with the Civil War comments. How incredible is this that he'd rather he's I don't want Donald Trump to be president. But it, it, between two, the two of them, Haley is more da dangerous. At least, you know, where Donald Trump, Trump stands on issues. So Haley's more dangerous. That's it. She's starting to gain momentum. Haley is more dangerous. There you have it. OK, exactly as we've been predicting for a long time. And it's going to it's going to happen more and more. It's not going to happen so soon because, again, Trump's going to become the front runner. But right now, Trump has been kind of laying 
low. He's faded to the background right now, uh, you know, waiting for the general. So Nikki Haley's the one who's more prominent. So she's the one who suddenly they're blasting. And again, whenever Trump eventually does kind of fade into the sunset, you're going to see more and more of this. Whoever does end up eventually taking over the Republican Party. The amazing thing is what he's saying doesn't even make any sense logically because he's saying, why do I have a problem with Nikki Haley? Because she supports an insurrectionist. Well, you're saying, but I prefer the insurrectionist, right? According to his own logic, Trump's the insurrectionist. She could stand there and support an insurrectionist. Uh, the, the, Trump is the insurrectionist. So you're OK with Trump and you're saying you rather have him. But I don't like her because she supports Trump. Well, Trump certainly supports Trump and Trump is Trump. But either way, pretty amazing clip there. All right. President Biden took another vacation this week. This was, Wednesday was was Biden's 418th day since becoming president. I have a point that I want to bring out here. But Wednesday was Biden's 418th day uh, on vacation as president, Biden has already spent 39%. They, they track this stuff. And Biden has spent 39% of his presidency on vacation. And this is interesting. Here's why it's interesting. Because, And by the way, Biden is on vacation when he's at his desk working, when he's in the Oval Office. He's always on vacation. You know, he certainly is not engaged and he certainly is not like a typical president who's actually the one doing the work. But that's not the point. Certainly when he's away 39 percent of the time at his beach, you know, si- sipping uh, whatever he's sipping, whatever drink his iced tea, he's he, he he's certainly not getting any work done as president. But what's amazing about it is think about this. The government, OK, the Biden administration, they've done a lot of bad things. OK, no, you're not going to say the administration is not functional. They have policies. They're busy. They're busy and they're busy wrecking the country. They're dysfunctional. Okay. But they're not, not functional. It's not as though like the Biden administration has just shut down for four years, which would be, we'd be far better off. If the Biden administration just had done nothing and just kept into place whatever Trump's policies were, the country would clearly be far better off. So my point is, Who's running it? Okay, you need the presidency, the administration, the White House. There's a lot going on. The executive branch of the government is very, very complicated. Somebody's got to be running the government. It's clearly not Biden because he's on vacation, number one. Number two, because even when he's there, it's not Biden. So it underscores the fact that somebody else, okay, there is somebody running the ship there, and it's not Joe Biden. It begs the question, well, who is it? And you know what's amazing? If the media, of course, is totally ignoring and burying this, if Trump had been on vacation, 20% of the time, the media would be going berserk. But with Biden, the media doesn't even bother to bring this up, of course. Biden never answers a single question. He runs. He sprint. They sprint him so fast. Now, they're not able to sprint him that fast because of logistical issues, if you know what I mean. You know, certain uh, physiological uh, limitations. But they get him to Marine One as quickly as they can and into the limo. He doesn't answer. He'll, you know, he'll like, he'll, he'll have very, very short answers to one question that he might even hear, might not hear. But Trump stood there for hours on his way to Marine One. Biden's always on vacation. Trump is not. Biden's literally sitting there uh, sipping the Kool-Aid all day long. And the media just totally buries that fact. And the obvious question, who is running the White House? All right. Iran says that the Hamas attack, terror attack was Trump's fault. They say that they're blaming Trump. They're blaming Trump. They say it was retribution for the assassination of al-Baghdadi. Now, the obvious question is, it's absurd for a number of reasons, but... The question is, if it was really because of Trump, then why did you not attack when Trump was president? And they're going to make excuses and say it takes time to plan and all of that. They they, they blame it on Trump because it's convenient to blame it on Trump. But putting that as and, and and the fact is that they did not do these kinds of attacks under Trump. They specifically waited for a weak president like Biden because they were terrified of the retaliation that would have taken place with Trump as president. So they go and they literally wait it out and wait until Trump is not there anymore. And then they say, oh, you see this? This is because of Trump. Everything's because of Trump. Everything bad that happens, everything good that happens is Biden. Everything bad that happens is Trump. 
And yet, when Trump was president, the bad things did not happen. Putin did not invade Ukraine. North Korea, we'll get to later on. They are building up their nuclear capabilities, which is very terrifying under Trump. They literally suspended the program. So, But all these things, let's blame Trump. But it's the whole notion is absurd, right? Because it's absurd to suggest that Hamas needs an excuse to carry out an attack. Iran, Hamas, Hezbollah. By the way, the Houthis, what's going on with the Houthis is just, and we'll get into this a little bit also, but like the Houthis, they used to be localized to Yemen. The Houthis used to be, used to be Hezbollah and Hamas uh, were the ones who uh, attacked Israel, which again was always terrifying. I don't mean to diminish that in any way. Horrific, horrific. But the Houthis always left America, always left Israel alone and left the Red Sea alone for the most part. And the Houthis were a local re- re- rebel group that specifically targeted the, the Yemeni government. And now that the Houthis are unleashed by Iran also to target Israel and to target these ships in the Red Sea, I mean, that's terrifying. That means Iran, all their, and the IRGC, of course, all of their proxy groups, and they have many, many terror groups. They're all right now literally uh, coordinating to target specifically Israel and American troops. But either way, you know, it's like Hamas, they need an excuse. Oh, this Hamas terror attack? Oh, well, that's because of Trump. If they can carry out a successful attack, they attack, period. They don't think, hey, wait a second, we're about to carry out this terrible attack against Israel, but have they killed any of our terrorist leaders lately that, you know, that we can justify the retaliation? All right, no, you know what? They haven't killed any, they haven't killed al-Baghdadi recently. They haven't killed any RGC heads. So, you know what? Let's not attack. It doesn't work that way. All right, so Nikki Haley got backlash, not only from Democrats, but actually her Republican opponents. She was asked at an event, she had an event in New Hampshire, and she was asked the cause of the Civil War, she gave an accurate answer, okay? She essentially said, well, it was about what people had the right to do and the right not to do. And essentially what she was trying to say, she didn't quite say it this way, it's, it was about states' rights. And we all know that that's an accurate answer. What Nikki Haley said was 100% accurate. She was asked the cause of the Civil War, what brought about the Civil War. And, you know, it's very hard to boil something like that down to a one-liner and to a soundbite. But she said, look, it was about what people had the right to do and had the right not to do. And essentially saying that it was about states' rights. Now, she failed to mention the S-word. She failed to mention slavery. And slavery is something that the left is obsessed with. And, of course, the media then had a meltdown. And then Nikki Haley spent the entire day, next the entire next day after this event, backtracking and clarifying and explaining why she neglected to mention the word slavery and doing everything possible she could to basically go back in time and try, to, and try to erase that moment. All right, so let me get into this here a little bit and tell you my take. Number one, there was nothing wrong with her initial answer. And by the way, I have to make a little preface over here that I happen to be in contact. I happen to be called a friendly with someone. I've never met him, but I'm friendly with someone whose wife actually uh, is, a, is a high-level advisor for Nikki Haley's campaign. Just happened to get in touch with this person, and I think this person does listen to the podcast and may be listening right now. Great guy. He's a great guy. I don't know the advisor. I don't know his spouse, but he's a great, great, great person. I have tremendous respect for him. I think he's a wonderful human being, very sincere. Like I've said many times, I have enormous respect and support for Nikki Haley and for her campaign. By the way, her campaign has done a phenomenal job. Let me just bestow a ton of praise on her advisors and her strategists and her communication people because look how she has risen in the polls. I expected her to basically be, you know, again, behind Trump, one of the front runners. And I did fully expect her. I've been following Nikki Haley for a very, very long time. I've talked about her for many, many years. Not surprised at all how successful she's been, but it still is very hard work, and she's under a lot of scrutiny and a lot of media pressure, of course, and everyone's out to get her, so they've done a great job, and I want to give them a lot of praise, and, uh, you know, they deserve it. They really deserve just an incredible, you know, uh, amount of credit 
for what they've accomplished over here, but I'm going to get a little critical, and I hope this friend of mine, hope he doesn't get upset, and I hope he doesn't, you know, I'll, 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 I'll let me uh, tell you exactly how I feel here and give you my thoughts, as you'd expect, you know, uh, my, uh, my very, very blunt and transparent thoughts here. Number one, her answer was correct. Number two, if she had mentioned slavery, it's a gotcha question. If she had mentioned slavery, she would have been slammed, not for the reason that people think, okay? But she gave the right answer, and I was ready to defend her. And my problem is that Nikki Haley then went and caved in and accepted the media narrative and the leftist narrative that really she should have mentioned slavery. And she said, well, it was a given. It was it was so obvious that I didn't mention slavery, but of course I should have. She said those words, I should have mentioned slavery. So what she was saying there is that I was wrong. I was going to defend her. And then Nikki Haley saying, oh, you know what? They were right. I was wrong. I should have mentioned slavery. How am I supposed to defend her? She's not even defending herself, but, it, but it's not even true. When she said, well, I would have mentioned slavery, but it was so obvious to me, but because because of course it's about slavery because I'm from the South, that's a lie. Because right after she gave this answer, the questioner then said to her, well, why didn't you mention slavery? And she said, what should I have said about slavery? What did you want me to say about slavery? She, she should have said, well, it was, of course, it's obvious. Of course, slavery, slavery is obvious. She didn't say that. She said, she was like, what, slavery? Like, what do you want me to say about slavery? She was like taken aback as though like she, she, she did not feel that slavery should be mentioned. So clearly, clearly she was tiptoeing and worrying about saying the wrong thing. She said, what do you want me to say? But uh, she should have said, well, of course, of course, slavery, slavery. So then the next day when she started to realize the damage, then she decided, oh, whoops, yeah slavery, that's a no-brainer. So let's start from the beginning over here. Let's break this down. Number one, this was a setup. This was a plant. Nikki Haley said this. It's obvious. I said it right away. They choose a question. This is some kind of operative. They choose a question that's impossible to answer. It's a trap. Haley did walk into the trap, but it's an egregious question. This is not a history lesson. It's a political campaign. You don't start testing these candidates. Number two, Here's the media narrative. The media narrative is that somehow Nikki Haley is pro-slavery. Oh, why did she not mention slavery? Because she she obviously was not against slavery, so she doesn't want to turn that into what the Civil War was about. Look, she took down the Confederate flag in the South Carolina State House, as my friend you know pointed out, who's linked to her campaign. She is not, or whose you know uh, relative is linked to her campaign. She's not pro-slavery. Okay, so here's the question: Then why did Nikki Haley not say the word slavery? The simplest answer is because it would not be accurate. And look, we, we, for number one, we cannot really judge. You know, she's up there, okay? It's, she has a split second to figure out how to answer this question. And she knows. The second the question gets asked, she knows, okay, this is a plant. This is a trap. What am I going to say? What am I not going to say? She knows that any direction she goes right now, somebody's going to be upset, okay? So she's going to say something which could potentially come back to harm her. And this is going to happen more and more, okay? As she gets more media scrutiny and as she gets into the spotlight, okay? And, and, and what, how would Trump have handled it? We'll get to that in a moment. But the simplest answer of why she, so who knows? Maybe she just wanted to avoid any possible controversial statement. So she like chose the most innocuous statement just because maybe she doesn't even know herself why she chose these words versus those words. But it's like, listen, let me say the thing right now that's going to create the least amount of controversy. So I respect that. But it's not accurate. If she would have boiled it down to slavery, the Civil War was complex. It built up for years and years and decades. So you boil it down to a soundbite. And in school, when they taught us about the Civil War, they taught us about states' rights. Of course, they mentioned slavery, and that's the catalyst and all of that. But if you just say, oh, the Civil War, what brought about the Civil War? Slavery, one word answer, okay, one soundbite, okay? Then you're going to get slammed for oversimplifying. And, and what? It wasn't only about slavery. It was about far more than just slavery. So now, and again, now you're going to tell me, well, Nick Haley also did not want to offend the neo-Nazis, and she wants the support of the far right. I don't know. Maybe. I don't believe that's what happened. And like I said, she's on the spot. I don't know if she knows herself. She might have just wanted to give the most vague possible answer. And I don't blame her for that because it's it's a history lesson. It's something that takes hours It's to, to, to break down. It's not something which you answer in a soundbite on camera. 
Either way, I have no problem with her answer of not mentioning slavery. But here's my issue with Nikki Haley is the next day she said, oh, of course, I should have mentioned slavery. It's so obvious I grew up in the South. So slavery, uh, you know, so so making it as though, you know what, I was wrong. I messed up and caving into the pressure when clearly at that moment she did not want to mention slavery and she was prompted well what about slavery well what do you want me to say about slavery then the next day well of course i have to say i've talked about slavery because she suddenly realized oh boy this is a big mess here's my problem is she caved into the pressure she failed the litmus test imagine if it were trump imagine this exact scenario happening to trump do you think trump the next day and he would have gotten slammed and the media would have been all over it even more than haley and you think he would the next day get up and say, oh, well, of course I should have mentioned it. Does Trump ever cave in? Does he ever backtrack? Does he ever try to spin his comments and, and, and stammer around and beg for forgiveness? Trump would have doubled down. He would have defended himself. He would have slammed the media. He would have slammed the questioner. He literally would have withstood the pressure and stood his ground, okay, and never would have backtracked and said, well, of course slavery is the answer, but that's obvious. So what happened here? Nikki Haley, we finally see her come under a little bit of pressure. She's avoided it. She has avoided the media scrutiny. She's avoided the pressure. She has been very good at keeping things vague and ambiguous enough and not taking too strong a stand on any one issue. She's been very good at that, by the way. And that's a very strategic thing. You know, that's her her campaign. That's why she's been so successful and has been able to get, you know, garner so much support. But she crumbled. So the moment she got under heavy media scrutiny, she crumbled so fast, she folded like a cheap suit. So now imagine Nikki Haley as president. And again, I'm sorry, I know some people are going to be upset at me. And but contrast her to Trump. This is what I'm trying to tell you is these candidates, you know, they cannot handle once the media starts putting the pressure on. And when, once they start, uh, you know, the, the, basically the entire news cycle is dominated by her blunder and her gaffe. And they spin it and they apologize and they pander and they beg the media for forgiveness. And imagine as president, if, you know, the media tears her to shreds, they investigate her, dig up the skeletons in her closet, accuse her of war crimes, she would cave in, she would not be able, you know, to to, to go against the swamp, she would not be able to stand up for conservative values, abortion, all these other issues, okay? So her whole campaign is about not taking a strong stance and appeasing all sides, and like I said, that is actually a good way to kind of, you know, gain momentum and to increase your poll numbers. But she's too desperate to be accepted and praised and embraced by the media. And that does not make for a strong conservative president, and a strong Republican president. OK, that is the opposite of Trump. That's I'm sorry. But that's what this whole episode told me. I had no problem with the initial comments. I had a problem with her response the next day. And, you know, I think she really, really caved in here. All right. To show you how disingenuous the Colorado judges were knocking Trump off the ballot, which, of course, is not a surprise. They were all appointed by Democrats. Um, here's what the Colorado judges did. OK, they quoted in this ruling, they quoted Trump. Um, number one, Trump had this quote. He said, uh, we play by you're allowed to play by different rules. He said you're allowed to use different rules. And, and and very different rules apply to us when because of the election fraud, you're allowed to play by very different rules. And the, the, the judges claimed, oh, well, he told his supporters that Trump told his supporters you're allowed to play by different rules. And that that is supposed to tell us that is supposed to signify and indicate that Trump is an insurrectionist and Trump was telling his MAGA supporters to breach the Capitol. So here's what it says in the ruling. It says that the Trump told his supporters that they were allowed to go by very different rules on January 6th and that those words were, quote, intended to produce imminent lawless action. And the judges repeat the phrase uh, very different rules, quoting Trump four different times. But 
What are the words that immediately follow very different rules? The words that actually prove the context that Trump was not talking about his supporters at all. He was talking about Mike Pence. Trump was talking about Mike Pence, how Mike Pence is allowed to follow very different rules. And that was Trump's whole point that day is that Mike Pence as vice president and Congress, they were allowed to disqualify the electors. Here's the quote from Trump's speech. When you catch somebody in a fraud, you're allowed to go by very different rules. So I hope Mike has the courage to do what he has to do. Clearly, Trump and Trump called, called for Pence to send the electors back to the states to recertify. And the broader context also reveals Trump was talking about Congress as well, because the federal, the elect, the Electoral Count Act, that allows Congress to object to states that did not follow the constitutional requirements for selecting electors. And this is the big storyline here. And the media tries to twist this around. But if you look at the actual law, Congress had the right to send it back to the states and say, you did not choose electors the proper way. And that was true at the time. You know what's amazing? And, and, and the case, because there was fraud or because there was potential fraud, Trump said that Congress and Pence have the right to do that. They have a right to decertify the electors. And then what happened was Biden and the Democrats and some Republicans, they changed the law. In 2022, they changed the law to remove certain aspects of election fraud and made it that election fraud then is not one of the criteria where you're allowed to send it back to the states. Why did they change that? Trump made the argument. He said, well, the reason they changed that is because I was right. And why, why else would you have to change the law if I was right, if I was wrong the first time and the law already said that I'm not allowed to send it back. So I was allowed to send it back to the states. And that's what I told Pence to do. And then they changed the law and made it that Trump had no right to do that. But either way, when he said very different rules, they're calling you an insurrection is because he's saying that you guys should go and breach the Capitol. That's not what he meant. He meant that Pence should send it back to the states. And then he kept it. They, they quoted the word fight. Trump said multiple times he used the word fight. And they're saying, oh, you see that he was encouraging them he was inciting violence. He was encouraging them to go and fight, like physical fight. But it's very clear over and over again, Trump used the word fight. And I've always said this. This is classic. This is a microcosm of what they always do to Trump, which is take his words out of context. And when he says hyperbole, he uses hyperbole. He does this all the time. He uses these words. And what he means is he means figuratively, but not literally. So here's what he said. And by the way, they wrote that he that he literally exhorted. This is a quote from the uh, ruling. He literally exhorted his supporters to fight at the Capitol. And it's not literal. Then later they say he used code. Okay, well, code by definition is not literal. Literal is not code. So they themselves are really admitting it. But here's the, you know, they say that Trump used the word fight 20 times on January 6th. But here, but, but all the examples that they use, it, there's no literal call for violence. It, it's all a metaphor. Listen to the words that they're quoting from Trump here, the quotes where he said fight. Quote, Republicans are constantly fighting like a boxer with his hands tied behind his back. And we want to be so nice. We want to be so respectful of everybody, even the bad people. And we're going to have to fight much harder. And then he said, we fight. If you don't fight, you're not going to have a country anymore. And he, you know, and then they said, well, he used coded language. They, they, they said that he used coded language for literal calls to violence. If it's a literal call to violence, it's not coded. So they're admitting. So what they're saying makes no sense. Of course, no shock there. But here's what Trump said. Republicans are constantly fighting like a box with hands tied behind their back. Uh, and uh, that's supposed to be somehow he's saying, oh, go into the Capitol and fight and, uh, you know, basically invade Nancy Pelosi's uh, office and uh, ransack the place and steal her laptop. But what's incredible is the full record of Trump's comments show it even more so. He said that Rudy Giuliani has guts. Rudy Giuliani fights. OK, I don't think he meant that Giuliani physically brawls. He said Jim Jordan 
they're out there. Jim Jordan, some of these guys, they're out there fighting the House. He said, you know, if they don't fight, we have to primary the ones that don't fight. You primary them. So you look at literally one quote after the next, the word fight. This is the big uh, the big smoking gun here. You see that Trump wanted to, them to, to incite violence because he used the word fight 20 times in his speech. That's how Trump talks. That's because Trump talks like a common man. And by the way, that's why his message resonates with so many millions of people. And that's why they love him so much is because he talks about fighting. And it's at a time when it's desperately, desperately needed. And more politicians should be talking that way. Nikki Haley's not going to say that because then CNN will have a meltdown and say, Nikki Haley, she's an insurrectionist. All right. A caller said, made a great point. You know, Iran, we mentioned earlier, Iran is suddenly taking responsibility for the Hamas attack and saying it was retaliation for uh, you know, the, 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 uh, Qasem Soleimani. Did I say al-Baghdadi before? I meant Qasem Soleimani, but either way, uh, you know, I, I believe, I think they're saying Soleimani. Anyway, so, uh, he was, of course, the Iranian who was, who was, who was assassinated by Trump, but Iran's taking responsibility now. They have not taken responsibility for, for October 7th until now. Why suddenly now? The, and the caller says, very simple, because they've been, they've been afraid. They were afraid to take responsibility because they were worried about retaliation. But now, and especially from the Biden administration, they didn't know quite, they, you know, maybe they were hoping that Biden would go soft, and that's what we'd expect, but they didn't know for sure. But now that they've attacked so many times since then, and their proxies are constantly there, literally pummeling, uh, you know, American troops over there in Iraq and Syria, and there's been zero retaliation, pretty much zero, worse than zero. So now they're not afraid because now they know that they don't have anything to worry about. So now they can proudly take responsibility. That's a great point. All right. Maine has now removed Trump from the ballot as well. This is you'd have to think it to go to the Supreme Court because a bunch of states are threatening to remove Trump from the ballot as an insurrectionist. So we're going to keep an eye on that. A caller said to me the following, you know, we're always talking about the border crisis and not just us, you know, conservative media always focused on the border crisis. Even CNN has admitted that it's a massive crisis. Caller said, I don't care about the border. I don't think voters care about the border. The whole border crisis is overblown and Republicans are out of touch because if they think they can win an election in November 2024 based on the border mess and it's a mess and Biden is totally responsible and Biden has totally, you know, abdicated any responsibility as president. But the caller says, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about the border. Okay, so here's my response. Number one, I like this caller. He leaves me a lot of messages. Great caller. Number one, he has a point. I I don't disagree. I I think that for the most part, this is not. And look, obviously, I focus on it. It makes for good fodder. You know, it kind of makes for good. You know, a lot of the you can't make this stuff up stuff about the border is out there. Right. So the border is a mess. And they, they tell her to come back for asylum hearing in eight years and seven years. That's a nightmare, but you tell me, ah, but does anyone really care? How does it affect my life? Okay, so there's a lot of illegals. There's millions of illegals. Um, I don't care. Nobody cares. So I think you have a point. But there's another issue here, which is the caller basically said to me, how does it, and, and that's fine. And by the way, you know, I, I tried to juggle it. I tried to not, uh, we have to mention it. We have to focus on it to some degree. I certainly try not to overwhelm anybody, you know, with news about the border because uh, number one, it's so predictable at this point. It's, it's so repetitive. Oh, 7 million, 2 million, you know, the December was the highest month on record. 300,000 uh, illegals came across the border. Okay. Well, we know already. We see. Okay. It, it's the same thing every month. Got it. But there's another issue, which is the caller said, eh, it doesn't affect my life. It does affect your life. It does affect your life. You might not realize that. You might not care. You might not connect it. But when you talk about the billions, now Gavin Newsom, California has just become the first state where it, it is unconditional. Every illegal in California is entitled to full health care coverage if they meet the, 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 the 
income eligibility requirements if they're below a certain income, which most of them are because they're mostly low income. So California now is covering literally millions, millions of illegals with Medicaid, okay, and with, with uh, you know, California's version of Medicaid. That is draining. This is such a massive drain uh, on the, you know, uh, on all of our tax dollars, okay? It's costing literally billions, hundreds of billions of dollars to sustain this and to feed these illegals. And also they become Democrat voters. Their kids become Democrat voters. They themselves vote, even though it's illegal, using mail-in ballots and all sorts of election fraud, ta- voter fraud tactics. So this is very, very much, a, in, in fact, Trump finally said it. Trump said the reason they're bringing in so many millions of illegals is because they turn into Democrat voters. I have said this for years. In fact, in the beginning, I got backlash. Oh, come on. You really think they're bringing in illegals? You really think they're allowing in so many illegals to become Democrat voters next generation? A hundred percent. That's they've been doing that for 30 years and it's working. Okay. All they need in these cities is a couple of hundred thousand votes to, to, to turn the city in the other direction. Look at Texas. Part of the reason the Governor Abbott and, and, and Florida DeSantis, they're sending so many illegals out of the state is because their states were turning left. Their states were turning purple and blue because of all the illegals, Florida and Texas. And they said, we're not going to have it. We're going to keep our states nice and red. So, yes, between the money, the enormous drain, between the crime and the way they would destroy neighborhoods, and between the uh, the amount of Democrat voters, it, I think it very much affects your life. But does that mean that people are going to care? Maybe you guys, maybe the people listening to this show are hopefully going to care. But I understand a lot of people don't care. I don't think the caller is necessarily wrong. Curious, leave me a voicemail. Tell me what you think. By the way, I never got back to everybody about the Galila issue. I got so much positive feedback on Galila. We'll have to, I'm going to have to get into it at one point because a lot of people made a lot of great points. I guess I'll just mention, you know, this past Shabbos, when say Shabbos, I got a call from, I got, I got, a, I got a text message. It doesn't matter. There's a listener that I'm very much in contact with. He's been a listener for many years and I have a listener. And uh, anyway, he sent me a text message. He's a guy of his shul. And he said that there was a boy, the Gabai Shani chose a boy to do Galila, it was a young boy, and he was struggling. And the Gabai Rishon, who's my listener, said that he was about to step in and help out. And he decided, you know what, he thought of me, and I feel very kind of flattered and honored and humbled by this. And he let the boy, you know, play, he let it play out. He let the boy do Galila on his own. It took an extra minute or two. Nobody died, you know, nothing terrible happened, like no, no crisis ensued, everything was fine, and people managed to wait. And, uh, you know, he, th- he he did it because of uh, us talking about it here a couple of weeks ago, so I do very much appreciate that. You cannot go wrong. Letting the child, again, obviously, if the child is stuck and it's going to be harmful because the child is just uncomfortable and everybody's, I'm not, obviously there's extreme scenarios, but most scenarios that I have seen, the kid can do it, just wait. We just have to condition ourselves that it's, oh, we think we're helping the kid. You're not helping the kid. You're helping the kid if everybody just sits by patiently. But it has to be a group effort. So, you know, that's a story for a different day. But I was really very much appreciative of that. Uh, The Justice Department is the DOJ is suing Texas for enforcing a law that makes it it, it a crime to cross the border illegally. And without getting into all the, the weeds of this. It's a federal crime to cross the border illegally, but it's not a state crime. Texas made it a state crime. The DOJ, you cannot make this stuff up. The DOJ has threatened to sue the state of Texas if they enforce a law. The law says that you can arrest people who who commit a crime, who commit. A, they're already committing a crime. All the law says is that Texas state uh, police is allowed to arrest these people who are already committing a crime. And the DOJ, the DOJ suing Texas or threatening to sue Texas if they enforce the law that they refuse to enforce. I mean, who? It's 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 a Babylon B headline. Have you ever seen it's CBS News headline? Justice Department threatens to sue Texas if it enforces a law making illegal border entry a state crime. That's the Babylon B. All right. And meanwhile, the White House says, Kim Jean-Pierre says the surge of illegals. That's a seasonal thing. She says, yeah, the ebb and flow. It's, it's really bad. I mean, it's really bad. It's worse than bad. It's the worst it's ever been. But the White House says it's seasonal. She says nothing to be concerned about. What we're seeing here at the border, the increased migration flow, 
It ebbs and flows. We're at a time of year when we're seeing more at the border. It's not unusual. Well, it's not unusual. There have been 10,000 arrests made each day. It's as unusual as can be. The amount of border encounters, like I said, 300,000 people in a single month of December, by far shattering all previous records. But it's just a seasonal thing. I don't know why is everybody getting so up in arms. And now the U.S. is asking Mexico for help. Okay, where did they get that idea? That was Trump. Remember, you have Anthony Blinken. And Mayorkas, Mayorkas, who should be impeached so quickly. I mean, uh, that man should be thrown in jail and never, you know, t- tossed away the key. But they went down and met with um, President Lopez Obr- Manuel Lopez Obrador of Mexico, and they said, "Here's what they're trying to do. They're trying, they're they're trying to develop programs throughout the hemisphere, throughout the region, in Guatemala, in Honduras, a lot of these uh, impoverished countries, Venezuela. This is what they're trying to do. They're trying to tackle the root causes. I can't, I." This stuff, it makes my hair hurt, as they say. I mean, it's so painful to even read. But uh, they got together with Mexico, and they're working on solving the border crisis. Well, how? Maybe by staunching the flow of illegals across the border. No, 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 no. We're going to target the root causes, right? Remember, Kamala supposedly did the same thing. So the problem is that Guatemala, Honduras, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, Venezuela, all these countries, they're so poor, dirt poor, and people are living there, these miserable lives, and living in squalor. And they have no money, no food, no basic staples in life. So they travel thousands of miles to get to the U.S. for the hope of a better life and come to New York City where Eric Adams will give you literally a free stay at a hotel so um, and free health care. So that's the issue. So we're going to make these countries rich. We're going to send money to the as though as though the money is going to make it get funneled through the government into these people's bank accounts. I mean, the money is going to just be the, these corrupt governments are just going to pocket all the money, as we know. But and but it's it would take years. It's absurd. It's absurd on so many levels. But that is their game plan here for officially tackling the border crisis. All right, update on the Middle East. Um, they're they're saying now they're getting ready for a long drawn out war. That it's going to be a marathon, not a sprint. Here's my problem. I just have to say this very bluntly: is that I'm concerned because th- there is a little bit of a. Uh, of a bias over here. There's a little bit of a of a benefit here for Netanyahu to extend the war as long as possible. When they talk about Netanyahu accepting responsibility and accepting the blame, and when they talk about the government eventually possibly being forced to, to resign, a lot of the members of the current administration, the current government, because of the monumental intelligence failure of the attack, the terror attack, the Hamas attack, right? So they say, well, after the war, after the war. We can't change governments after the war. Well, what does that incentivize? That should, that incentivizes them to keep the war shorter or longer. What would you think now is um, is more beneficial to the current government, the current coalition in Israel? Is it to keep the war going as long as possible or is it to make the war end as quickly as possible? So somebody said to me, someone I respect a lot, and I interviewed him and whatever, he, you know, he said, no, Benny Gantz, Benny Gantz is, is, is not going to stay in a unity war government, wartime government more than he needs to. So he's going to make sure that the minute they can pull out, they pull out. Or the minute they can end the war again, it's not about pulling out, but it's about you know defeating Hamas. But either way, I I, I don't know. It troubles me a little bit because now what they're doing is they're actually pulling out twenty thousand troops. They have various reasons, but they're pulling out twenty thousand troops from Gaza to Israel. They're saying this is not a drawdown. They're saying that they're not uh, you know uh, alleviating the level of attacks and conflict and all of that. But at the same time, there's fewer airstrikes. You know they they keep reporting uh, like we've told you about that you know that they're they're uh, scaling down 
the intensity of the fighting. And then now, now Netanyahu says it's going to go, or not Netanyahu, I'm sorry, Netanyahu says it's going to go as long as it takes. He's hinting it's going to take a long time, but now the IDF says it's going to take at least the entire year of 2024. So that's a little bit of a concern. Uh, President Biden reportedly hung up on Netanyahu. They had a heated phone call. Their, 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 their dispute is about tax revenue. Basically, Netanyahu says, I'm not giving tax revenue to the PA, to the Palestinian Authority, to Mahmoud Abbas, because that money is, some of that money is going to go to, to Hamas. And he's 100% right. And Biden's trying to pressure him to give the money to Norway. And Norway will hold on to the money. And Netanyahu says, well, says, I don't trust Norway. So Biden's frustrated with Netanyahu. Supposedly he hung up on him. It could just be that Biden, I don't know, could be just didn't realize, you know, you can come up with various uh, other reasons why why Biden might have hung up the phone at that moment without even realizing that he was hanging up on Netanyahu. Um all right, should we get into Ukraine? I guess we'll leave Ukraine for now. That call is going to, who said that nobody cares about the border will certainly tell me nobody cares about Ukraine. But let me just say this about Ukraine is they're never going to win. Okay. If the way you define winning the war is that the Russians retreat, Putin's never going to retreat. He has enough resources. I think Putin, I think you can make the case that he likes it exactly the way it is right now. That he, if he wanted, he could go and obliterate Ukraine, and it's actually more beneficial for him not to. We have no idea. But one thing's for sure, is Putin, he is not going to pull out and say, oh, you know what, it's hurting too many troops, I'm done. Putin does not care about his troops, they're in harm's way, harm's way, they're being killed, he doesn't care. Whatever his motives are, but he does not care. So this could last forever. You've got to, and now, now Americans, uh, congressmen, are finally saying this. They're saying, listen, Ukraine is going to have to give up some land. And you say, well, how do we have a right to tell Ukraine to give up land and not tell Israel to give up land? Totally different. It's apples and oranges because Ukraine, nobody's telling them, you want to, you don't want to give up, you want to fight? Go and fight. Just don't do it with my money. If right now America, number one, people don't realize it's in America's best interest giving Israel billions of dollars. Israel is like a wing of the American military in the Middle East. It is saving America so much money to give these billions to Israel. They'd have to spend so much more on their own military in the Middle East. So number one, number two, if America said to Israel, sorry, we're not giving you another dime, Israel would say, all right, we're not happy about that, but we'll fight on our own. You want to fight on your own, fight on your own. But Ukraine is saying, listen, we need to defeat Russia, which is never going to happen. So you need to give us the money for that. No, 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 no. We don't have to give you the money when you say you're going to defeat Russia and you are not defeating Russia. It'd be much simpler if you just give up certain, there are certain areas of Ukraine territories, which you could argue makes sense to just go back to Russia. Just make that happen and, uh, yeah, you know, uh, negotiate a ceasefire and you, and you're done and move on and rebuild, uh, Ukraine, you know, which has pretty much, I guess, become a wasteland. All right. Meanwhile, um, Israel has attacked Iran for the first time, so that's very big news. First time since, you know, the attacks, any real, any real sort of attack. Israel bombed, not, not Iran, the country, but Iranians. Israel killed 11 high-ranking senior members of the IRGC, uh, in the Damascus International Airport Thursday night. There were a bunch of leaders gathered at the airport preparing for some sort of delegation, some sort of meeting. And of course, uh, IRGC commander, uh, Syed Riza Musavi, was killed in an Israeli strike last week, also in the Damascus area. So if you're an Iranian IRGC leader, stay away from Damascus. But that is big news that Israel is attacking and assassinating Iranian leaders. Meanwhile, you have U.S. Navy helicopters that sunk three Houthi rebel ships. Um, these were small ships, but they killed the Houthis on these ships. It was in self-defense in the Red Sea. And what happened was they were attacking uh, a, a commercial tanker and these Navy helicopters came in to rescue the, the commercial tanker and then they were attacked. Literally, these Houthi rebels literally started shooting at 
these Navy helicopters, so the Navy had no choice. So, number one, it's not like America did, you know, finally is uh, engaging with these Houthis and finally attacking these Houthis. It was done in self-defense. So I'm not exactly encouraged by this, but this is a very, very big story. Uh, all right, Eric Adams placing heavy restrictions on buses delivering illegals to New York City. He's such a hypocrite, Eric Adams, because he talks about how inhumane it is for Abbott and DeSantis to send these buses of illegals. And yet, uh, Eric Adams, he says, I want illegals. I want as many migrants as possible to come into New York City. Oh, but they can't come from Texas. It's inhumane. And, you know, people say, oh, these are political pawns. Look at these shenanigans. Look at these games. They're busting them. As I said earlier, they've got to get them out of Texas. They've got to get them out of Texas and Florida, number one, because it's ruining their state. And they're not sanctuary state. They say, we don't want them here. And, and, and number two, they're like, listen, Eric Adams sits here telling us he wants migrants. We're a home for migrants. They're welcome. We welcome them with open arms. And Texas does not want them. So it's a great, it's a win-win. You're sending, how does anybody go and say it's inhumane and cruel for Abbott to send them to New York when New York City is saying, listen, they come here and they're going to live the life. They're going to live the American dream. They're going to get all sorts of programs, all sorts of money, a fancy hotel. And if they're in Texas, they're going to be in the street. If they're in Texas, they're going to literally live in an alleyway and they're not going to have anything. So it, like everybody gains by this. And of course, but of course, Adams doesn't like it because he knows that it's a disaster. But why are you sitting there telling us that you, you know, you're proud of the fact New York City is sanctuary city, but then you're saying, oh, but I don't want the illegals to be sent here by bus. Oh, but and if they get here on their own, oh, we, we love them. We love migrants. We love illegals and we welcome them with open arms. So much more to get to. But, you know, I think we're going to have to leave it here. We'll have to wait till next time. Uh, some got some poll numbers to share with you. Like I said, North Korea is uh, ramping up its nuclear uh, program, and that's very frightening. That's that kind of stuff is going to keep happening now because they don't know who's going to get elected in November. So they're taking advantage, exploiting the fact that Biden is still president. We still have the weakest administration in U.S. history. All these enemies of America right now are going to try to build things up as much as humanly possible. Um, while while they can, that's going to do it for today, and we will see you. Next time.